All right, good morning. It is 11 o'clock. We'll get started today. Hope you guys are having a great day. Welcome to Carlsbad Bible Church, and um, we hope that uh, you uh, leave today blessed, convicted, and uh, all at the same time. So that's what God's Word does, right? So, hey, well, we just got back from a contend conference in uh, Wolford, Texas, Lubbock area. And so this is one of the uh, items that were given away there. So I'd like to give one away today. But if uh, you ever, if you get an opportunity, go on to Facebook, you can um, uh, look up this gentleman. But uh, he was one of the speakers there. They're from Kentucky. He's from Kentucky, Louisville. It's called the Holy Hope. And uh, this is his, the Holy Nope. There you go. Holy Hope. Yeah. Okay. I'm making stuff up myself. <laughs> and just came back from a, a conference that was talking about false prophets and prophecies and stuff like that. So false prophets, not prophecies. That too. But anyways, uh, the Holy Nope. And uh, if somebody can tell me, if you did not go to the conference, okay, because I don't want you to cheat, but if you can tell me uh, by memory the verse uh, Jude 3, I will give this to you. Can anybody tell me Jude 3? Okay. All right, so this, if you have a paper Bible, hold it up in your hands, but do not stick your fingers in there. And again, only if you did not go, Okay. Oh, we've got a little Bible drill here, okay? Y'all ready? And whoever has it first, stand up and start reading it. Jude 3, go. (laughs) Only paper Bibles. Stand up. Come on. Our young disciples are quicker than this. Come on. Jude 3. It's in the Old Testament. (laughs) come on Jude 3 stand up and somebody read it there you go what does it say That's good. But, so, right, once and for all, deliver to the saints. There you go, buddy. Good job. Quick, quick. Yes, once and for all, deliver to the saints. It's very important. Our faith, the faith that says, has once and for all been delivered to the saints. And that's what we're here proclaiming today. This is what we stand for today. Is what, what we protect today and what we defend today. So, again, very good conference. A reminder of, uh, you know, a lot of the wolves that are out there. And um, uh, it was good. It was refreshing. It was um, very, very um, exciting to go and be with the other believers who had the strong perspective as we do and just uh, worship with them together. So, all right, go ahead and stand. Let's open our Bibles to Psalms 98. Psalm 98. This one actually is in the Old Testament, okay? Psalm 98. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> and God's Word says, Sing to Yahweh a new song, for he has done wondrous deeds. His right hand and his holy arm have worked out his salvation. Yahweh has made known his salvation. He has revealed the righteousness in the eyes of the nations. He has remembered his loving kindness and his faithfulness to, to the house of Israel. All the ends of the earth 
have seen the salvation of our God. Make a loud shout to Yahweh, all the earth. Break forth and sing for joy and sing praises. Sing praises to Yahweh with the, with the leery. With the leery and the sound of singing, with trumpets and the sound of the horn, make a loud shout before King Yahweh. Let the sea roar as well as its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. Let the rivers clap their hands, let the mountains sing together for joy before Yahweh, for He is coming to judge the earth. He will judge the world with righteousness and the peoples with equity. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for today, Lord. We thank you for a good time this weekend, Lord. Uh, we got to meet other saints, Lord. We just thank you for that. There's one thing we all have in common, Lord, and that's you and your truth, Lord. And we're just thankful, Lord, to hear other people teach and preach about you, Lord. I pray, Lord, that Carlsbad Bible Church is a church, Lord, that holds your word high, who holds you high, who does not compromise, Lord. And I pray, Lord, that um, as we grow, as we get we grow into the um, knowledge of you, Lord, that we continue to um, to get stronger and stronger, Lord, as a, as a body of believers. Lord, I pray this morning as we lift up uh, your name, that uh, it is pleasing to you as we sing to you, as we preach the word, Lord. I, I pray that you be with all those who will be um, interacting, Lord, in your worship today. We thank you, Lord. We love you. We pray in your name. Amen. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you that you have given us uh, this time to be together as a church, to have fellowship with one another. Uh, to gather around your word and to study it. And I pray that our ears would be open to hear what you have to say to us through your truth this morning and that we not be just hearers of the word, but that we act upon the things that we learn that you instruct us in and that we apply wisdom to the way that we live in this world. God, just uh, help us to grow and to be nurtured today and that you would be glorified in this. Challenge us with your word, Lord. Convict us where necessary. Cause the sin in us to be um, exposed to us if we need to come to you in confession and repentance. And Father, just uh, also encourage us through your word and help us to see the things that apply to us, but also help us more to see uh, who you are, that you reveal more of yourself to us. In Jesus' name, amen. And turn with me to the book of Mark. <clears throat> I believe this is probably our fourth, fifth Sunday in the book of Mark. Um, maybe, maybe we've been a little bit longer in here, but we are going to be looking at verses 16 through 20 this morning of chapter 1. Mark 1, verses 16 through 20. Thank Ray for bringing the teaching last week. We were out of town, and we did get to enjoy some of that message. It got cut a little bit short on us, but um, we were, were blessed um, for his time of study, and I know that you were as well. We're going to continue with where he left off, and that is verse 16. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat mending the nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So as we read this text, we just want to... I lift this up before the Lord once more in prayer. Ray, would you do that for us, please? 
Amen. Thank you. So Jesus here is calling his first disciples. Now, I'm going to let you know ahead of time that other commentators have done the work of figuring out the timeline um, by taking all the Gospels, kind of overlaying them with one another, and seeing where some have gaps and the others might fill in some information for us. And that's what we're going to do today, is we're going to look at a passage from the Gospel of John, because John is the only one that contains what scholars call a year of obscurity that the other Gospels do not cover. And the reason that we want to do this is we want to see maybe what of Jesus' ministry had the disciples who hadn't been called yet, they're being called here in the book of Mark, but what they had encountered with Jesus and how they had met Him prior to His calling them into service as His students or as His disciples. So turn with me to the book of John, and we're going to look at verse, chapter 1, verses 35 through 42. And just so we have as notes, uh, for something for your notes, is that year of obscurity that they talk about is filled in for us by John in verses, in chapter 1, verse 15, all the way through chapter 4, verse 42, if you want to go back and kind of study this and fill this in for yourself. But I just want us to look here at this uh, moment in John chapter 1, beginning in verse 35, and I'll read verse through verse 42. The next day again, John, this is John the Baptist, was standing with his two disciples, and he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? And he said to them, Come, and you will see. So they came and saw where he was staying, and they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, the son of John. You shall be called Cephas, which means Peter. So at this point in Mark, they had already accepted that Jesus was the Messiah and had even assisted him with some of his work. And you can find more of that in John chapter 3, 22 through 30. Um, Jesus had, was baptizing and John the Baptist had not yet uh, been, been executed. And so there was some side-by-side work going on as John fades into obscurity and Jesus then really establishes his earthly ministry and begins choosing his disciples. But at this moment in Mark is where the things, this gets really serious for them, that the training becomes more intense as Jesus will call them and he will make them his disciples. So in one sense, they were being prepared for this moment when Jesus would come out to them. These uh, fishermen were not uninformed about Jesus. I think sometimes we look at this and we think because Mark does skip over some things and he uses that word immediately a lot that they were just taking a blind leap here by following Jesus, but rather they had an informed um, response to following Jesus. 
their master. They had approximately 12 months to consider all that he was doing, to take in all that he was saying. And they probably talked about little else than Jesus. I can imagine that as they got ready to go to bed or as they were sitting around having a meal together, that all the conversation centered around Jesus. And so they've considered the things that he was doing, the things that they hadn't heard nobody else say before. This was a rabbi, a teacher like none other that they had encountered. And we see that even from a very young age, that Jesus, being the Son of God, being God, of course, would instruct them according to his own word. So, yes, of course, it was a special uh, word that he had, but back when he was 8 or 12 years old, you might remember the account in Luke chapter 2, Beginning in verse 45, Mary and Joseph had been in the city, and Jesus had you know, left them. He had gone to the temple, and in verse 45, when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him, and after three days they found him in the temple sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. So we know that the invitation for them to come was preceded by their observing. It was preceded by the information that they had already heard Jesus um, speaking and the knowledge. And then keep in mind that they also may have been there when Jesus was baptized in the heavenly revelation as the heavens were torn open and God's voice was descending down saying, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then the presence of the Holy Spirit coming in the form of a dove. So all of this they had already seen and taken in. So the act of their following was not uninformed, but it was immediate. And we'll talk about that here in just a moment. Now, something also that is different about this encounter, Jewish teachers, which were called rabbis, did not seek out their students, but rather students would seek out the teacher, would seek out the rabbi that they wanted to sit under, that they wanted to be taught by, and it was an honor uh, for them if, if they were actually chosen once they followed and they sought this rabbi, and then they could sit under their teaching. But Jesus was not sought out by these fishermen. And these fishermen did not aspire necessarily to be rabbis themselves, but rather Jesus sought them out and called them to take part in his earthly ministry. The life that these young men probably thought that they were going to have was already out in front of them. They had an established career as fishermen. I mean, it was labor, but it was honest labor. That was their profession. That was what they thought they were going to be doing for the rest of their lives. But once a student found a rabbi that was willing to teach them, then they became committed to that rabbi. They became committed to their teaching. They would follow them continually, being taught, putting their words into memory. And if they had the ability to write their words down, they would write their words down. But back in these days, there wasn't much opportunity to just have a pen with you and, and a notebook and jot things down. And they were very good about putting these things in memory, but they might have been writing these things down if they had opportunity to. But this just wasn't, you know, a little gang of students surrounding the teacher and they would meet at Starbucks to discuss doctrine and theology once a week. 
these students were serious about getting all the knowledge that they could receive from their teacher in hopes that they would one day become a rabbi themselves. But in the case of these fishermen, they were getting a personal call from the rabbi. They were not seeking the rabbi. Rather, he sought them and he called them. The disciples were a group of students that were hand-selected by the master. And that's not what we would expect, knowing the order of how things were done. Students chose the rabbi that they wanted to follow in hopes that he would then select them. But as God often works, seems maybe to always work, is that he does something that we would never expect. But we try to look out ahead and see how God might work out a situation or act in such a way, and I'm usually always wrong when I try to figure out what God is doing, and He always has something far better and far greater in store. These were not the elite of the world. Jesus did not select His disciples out of a pool of highly qualified seminary graduates. They had no serious wealth to bring to the table. They didn't have any military rank. They weren't serving. They didn't have any political power. These were ordinary men. So this had to be an affront to the scribes and Pharisees. And one of the reasons I think that they were so offended by Jesus, that Jesus had this group of students that followed him, and he would go and he would speak or he would perform a miracle And you remember how the scribes and the Pharisees, they were continually challenging the things that Jesus said. And I can't help but think that maybe they were deeply offended that here they had spent all these years of study. They wanted a good rabbi, and Jesus had sought out these fishermen, and those were the students. So what what an affront to their intellect. But that's just a side note, something I was thinking about here. But throughout the scriptures, this is the way God works. Right, we heard it with Barry teaching the younger people is that he would give Abraham and Sarah a son even at an age where it was literally uh, physically impossible for them to give birth to their own son. God had to do it. He surprises us all the time that way. I mean, we look at his choice of David as, as the true king. We see Jacob and Esau, we have how he turns the tables on us time and again and surprises us, and here we see him doing the same thing. He performs the miraculous. He takes the impossible, he makes it possible so that you might see that only God is the one that's able to do it. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 1, and look at verse 26 through 31. First Corinthians 1, beginning in verse 26. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. 
And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that that is written, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. We saw there, God chose. He chose the things that were foolish. He chose the things that were lowly. He confounds the wise of this world with the things that He does so that we might know that is from Him and not from man. And so it is with these simple men. God was beginning something here. He was beginning the building of His church. And to think of how far the gospel has now spread and having originated and started here, we could not say that this was of man, but this is truly of God. And I hope that none of us here think that we have to be some business professional or we have to be a religious elitist to be called and to be used by God. I fear that many, and I'm not speaking of you here necessarily, but many in this world equate worldly success with ministry success. Like we go to a church and we gauge what kind of a church it is by the appearance of it. How fresh is the paint? How good does the foyer look? Um, how much refreshments they have, if they have a coffee bar, those kinds of things, that that is worldly success or something that they might equate with worldly success and so, okay, this is where I'm going to go to church. But that if you aren't succeeding financially and professionally, then you're not going to make a very good servant of God and that is nowhere in Scripture. The things I hear in Scripture are, blessed are the meek, blessed are the humble, blessed are the poor in spirit. God could care less about your profession and how much you have in your bank account and what you drive on the street, what you live in, or the political clout that you may have. He gets to decide. God chose the things that are foolish, according to the world's eyes, to shame the wise. J.C. Ryle says, The Bible contains many instances of special privileges conferred on working men. Moses was keeping sheep when God appeared to him in the burning bush. Gideon was threshing wheat when the angel brought him a message from heaven. Elisha was plowing when Elijah called him to be the prophet in his stead. The apostles were fishing when Jesus called them to follow him. It is a disgraceful, it is disgraceful to be covetous or proud or a cheat or a gambler or a drunkard or a glutton or unclean, but it is no disgrace to be poor. The laborer who serves Christ faithfully is far more honorable in God's eyes than the nobleman who serves sin. So Jesus is ready, and he goes out along the shores of Galilee, and here he calls four common fishermen. The first of his twelve, Peter, who is also called Simon, Andrew, James, and John. Four disciples, two that are mentioned in verse 16, and then we have the other two that are mentioned in verse 20. And if you want the full list of the twelve, you can go to chapter 3 of Mark, look at verses 16 through 19, but we're going to get there soon enough in our study, probably here in a couple of years. So we're not going to discuss the character of each one of these for right now, but we will focus more on Jesus' words to them as he called them, and then also look at their response. So mainly the teaching is confined, 
to the verses that are sandwiched in between, mainly uh, verses 17 and 18, is where our teaching is going to come from. So verse 17, or sorry, let me come back to this um, and read, read the entire passage. Verse 16 of Mark chapter 1. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. And going on a little farther, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were in their boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So Jesus said to them, follow me, I will make you become fishers of men. The command of Jesus is for them to follow. And the Greek word that is used here for follow is dute, and it is spelled D-E-U-T-E, but the Greek pronunciation is dute, which kind of sounds like duty, but means to come here, it means to come on or to come hither. Also, one of the definitions is that it means to accept and follow the leadership, command, or guidance of another, and usually involves literal walking and following as well. We see its use in Matthew chapter 11, verse 28. As I read this, some of you will, it'll resonate very familiar to you. Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Come to me is dute. The same word that is used here when Jesus says, follow me. But note that it is Jesus who is the only one that is able to make them become fishers of men. That this is not something that they will just receive the ability to do all of a sudden, but Jesus says, I will make you become fishers of men. And just as it is with us, the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit enables us for the purposes of kingdom work. Through relationship with Jesus Christ, the transforming work has begun. That the Holy Spirit washes us, regenerates us, gives us a new heart for God, but there's not a snap of the fingers here when it comes to our sanctification, and sanctification is over with, and then we're just sent on our merry way. Sanctification is the lifelong process of a believer Though our salvation is immediate, our growing in Christ and Christ-mindedness is more gradual. In 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, And we all, with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. So we are being transformed. He will make us become fishers of men. This process of sanctification is the first training ground for our evangelism. Because when we're becoming fishers of men, or when Jesus says becoming fishers of men, He is talking about those who will share His message to the world, that we would share the gospel with unbelievers. But remember the first part of their calling was to follow. It was to do te. And there is commitment in that word. If we follow something, we are showing our commitment to it. What they're committing to is they're committing to a fellowship. They are committing to a responsibility. Before you can become someone who draws people to Christ, you must be with Christ. You must learn Christ. You must have fellowship with Christ. One must be diligent and intentional 
and purposeful in their following of Christ. Because we desire, we should desire to emulate a Christ-like character, growing in the knowledge of His Word. Becoming a disciple is more than just getting to know what the teacher knows. It is also getting to be what the teacher is, striving to be what the teacher is. Now, of course, Jesus, perfect, holy, (laughs) He is the standard bearer. We could not achieve that degree of holiness, but it is that that sanctification part as well is to become more like the Savior. Jesus equips them first with the image of Himself. By their submitting to follow Him, they are committing to that fellowship with Him, a committing to attending to His Word, relying on His grace. He causes them to be like Him. We are not ready to do the work of evangelism, that becoming fishers of men, until we have begun the progress of sanctification. Because in that sanctification, we are being made holy. We are to be holy as He is holy, but the work of the Spirit in us in sanctification is making us more Christ-like, and then us becoming more Christ-like is the first witness of the truth and power of the grace of the gospel that it has transformed us. I think Scripture gives us strong support that in the real sense, the call to fish for men is a call for every believer. We are vessels sanctified for His work and His good pleasure and His purposes to work in us. He enables us to accomplish that through His Holy Spirit, men and women alike. In 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10, but you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into this marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. We all proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness into His marvelous light. I see this as our responsibility to become fishers of men once we are saved. This should be something that excites us, that we should be ready for this work. In 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth so that we can proclaim His excellencies, declaring all that He has accomplished to bring us into relationship with Himself, to restore us to a peace relationship with God the Father. I was so encouraged um, at this conference that we went to to see our young disciples being very responsible and respectful with the speakers and with God's Word, and attentively listening to the speakers. And they went longer than I will. We had an hour and a half long of speakers at a time, and they were being attentive to God's Word. And I see the God beginning that process of making them fishers of men, and it was very encouraging, and I was blessed to you know, witness that. Now we see the response of the disciples to His call. And that is an immediacy in their response. Look at verse 18. And immediately they left their nets and followed him. Verse 20. And immediately he called them 
And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him. So it was without hesitation. And they literally dropped everything that they were doing. It says that they left their nets. They left their father Zebedee. We see the same response and we see that it was immediate. These sons, consider this. That these were the men that were very young. You know, I was looking at some commentary and studying for this and seeing what the average age of the disciples were, and most speculate that none of them were over 20 years old, that Peter was probably the oldest of them. Jesus being 30 probably at this time, that teachers would usually not teach students that were older than them, that they were all younger, and they speculate that John might have been as young as 13 years old at this time. So you have this age group of maybe 13 to 20-year-olds. Maybe they had a young disciples group here. (laughs) I think it's very fitting. But without hesitation, they literally dropped what they were doing, and they were sons to these fathers. I mean, Zebedee is mentioned by name, so they were leaving the physical leaders of their childhood, right? They were having to leave behind their mentors, (laughs) You know, those who they looked up to. And as I try to apply this to myself, I think of a strong sense of loyalty that I might have to my profession. You know, these guys were fishermen. They probably had a sense of loyalty to provide and then to also be loyal to their fathers who are bringing them into the business. I have a sense of loyalty to serve my employer well. So there's that that obligation to think about and that strong tie that we have to our professions, but then think of that strong emotional tie to the parent. You know, how much you respect your parents and how much these men respected their, their fathers and their family members. And then also think of that strong urge that we have to cling to our possessions. Little though they may be, or great though they may be, we have that kind of working against the being an object of our affection and all these worldly possessions professions and relationships that the men these men had are immediately left behind i was thinking would i really be able to to sever that so quickly to leave that some here would call this though the effectual call of jesus upon a believer's life In John chapter 15, verse 16, Jesus says, You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you should go and bear fruit and that your fruit should remain. The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, the power to overcome the bonds of profession, uh, the bonds of possessions and relationship. And those things no longer had rule over them These men stand out, I think, in stark contrast to a rich young ruler. Some of you may already know where I'm going with this, but if you look at Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 22, we will see what contrasts so strongly with the response of these men. Matthew chapter 19, let's look at verse 16. Thank <laughs> you. 
hearing some page turns. And behold, a man came up to him saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go, sell what you possess, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. Now there is a lot more in those verses than we have time to really teach today, but essentially the call to follow him is the same to this rich young ruler as it was for Simon, Andrew, James, and John. The rich young ruler went away sorrowful. The man was not willing to follow the Lord if that meant that he must give up his wealth. It shows the condition of his heart that he did not love the Lord with all of his heart, and he did not love his neighbor as himself. That was the test for him. He loved himself and he loved his money more. Far from keeping all the commandments as he had claimed, the man was a sinner like everyone else. And Jesus used the law to expose that to him, to reveal it to him. Because if the man had loved God and loved people more than he did his property, that he would have been willing to give it up as, and serve God and not man. But that was not the case. He had made an idol of his wealth. He had made an idol of his profession. He was more bonded to the things that were of this world. And he couldn't leave them. He loved those things more than God. And my prayer is that you have answered the saving call of Christ our Savior. His effectual call. That you have trusted in his sufficient sacrifice on the cross to cover your sins. You trusted in him for the forgiveness of your sins that you have repented of that sin and turned to Him in faith. That His work of sanctification has begun in you and is continuing in you and is producing in you Christ-likeness and that you are ready to do the work of fishing for men. God's work is often done by unlikely people from unlikely places just like all of us here today probably. To be successful in kingdom work, we must follow the one who can make us fishers of men. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, thank you for your word to us this morning. And as it penetrates and cuts into our hearts, our souls, and divides and exposes things to us, Lord, maybe some places we need to be corrected in, um, we find just that your word is healing to us but it is also correcting us at the same time and admonishing us and help us by your Spirit in us to be changed by it, that we wouldn't be like those who just look in the mirror and then turn around and forget what they looked at, but that it does something in us, Lord. We thank you for your saving work that 
you call us by your grace that is an effectual calling and that you work in transforming and renewing us, giving us a new heart, replacing that, that stone with a heart of flesh. And that your truth, that it is working in our lives to transform us and to make us more like you. And God, help us to answer this call that each of us have, if we have been saved, that we know we are to be fishers of men, that we are to go and share the gospel with those in our families, those in our workplaces, those that we encounter every day. And as we've learned this weekend with our young disciples, that we contend for the faith and that we stand firm in the truth and that we defend it well in a world that is corrupted, in a world that is constantly challenging us Lord, may we um, be opposed to the things that are opposed to you, and we stand up for the things that are of you. And we ask this and we pray it in your Son, Jesus Christ's name. Amen.